Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. Hit your money goals without switching platforms. Download SoFi's all-in-one super app for industry-leading APY. Great loan rates and stock trading. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank, NANMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome to On The Tape. I am Danny Moses. We are fortunate to have Ivy Zellman, founder of Zellman & Associates, join us today to talk about all things housing. Before I let Ivy go, let me just tell you that I met Ivy. Ivy, it's almost been 20 years since we've known each other, your days at Credit Suisse. And I'm not understating the fact that during that time period there, you truly helped us. When I say us, Steve Ives and myself, Porter Collins, Vincent Daniel, guide us through the financial crisis or leading up to the financial crisis. And it was your research that truly helped shape this, how we thought about the markets in general and what was happening within housing, which was obviously the entire key to the whole GFC that went on. So if I don't have this correct, tell me, but you were at Solomon before you were at Credit Suisse. You left Credit Suisse smartly in 2007, knowing that they probably weren't going to do so well and you could branch it on your own. And if you're still bearish on Wall Street, we know how that works out in terms of comp. And you started Zelman Associates in late 2007. And to fast forward in 2021, you sold your business, which is still Zellman Associates and operating to Walker and Dunlop. We can talk about that too, but you guys do banking, you do research, you do advising, you do everything within housing and home centers and building supply and all kinds of things. So with that, I want to maybe turn it over to you and tell me if I got anything wrong there and then maybe describe exactly what you're up to now. If I missed anything, let me know, Ivy. First, thank you so much. It's really an honor to be on your show. It's fun to see you. And no, you didn't get anything wrong, but I have to go back to the days hanging out with my buddies at Front Point. You kept me sane because there was many accounts that I talked to and clients were just not at all willing to hear anything bearish. So there was moments without you guys. I don't know that I would have survived and a few other clients like yourself, but those were fun days hanging out with you guys. Well, it's interesting. This is an incredible time period, again, for home builders in general and just the sector. When you think about what's happened in the world, right? So obviously GFC changed everything as far as 
mortgage availability, mortgage products, which we can go into what led to part of the crisis was the availability of these crazy mortgage products. But then more importantly, COVID hits tragically, and it changes the whole secular shift in, in the entire industry about people working from home, staying in their homes longer, et cetera. So maybe walk through those two key events and how it's shaped to get us where we are here today as far as it goes with housing. Obviously, in um, March of 20, as we were all starting to recognize that we were going to be living in quite a different world with the pandemic's onset, we were forced in March of 20 to come out with a forecast about housing and any prior downturn with employment plummeting and everything shutting down, we would have thought housing would have plummeted alongside of it. And it did initially, and it was, we saw shutdowns and then the home builders became essential. And really starting in late April, we were starting getting indications from our proprietary builder survey that things were actually accelerating and people were coming out to buy. And that trend just exploded, as we all know. And it was really about consumers are, were looking for not only distance, but space. So they wanted to work from home. They needed more than one place for them and their kids to work remotely and having the ability to be far away and get out of cities, density, et cetera. Fast forward, what's really occurred pre-22 when rates started moving higher was really a secular growth and a combination of migration for tax reasons north to south, which has been going on forever, but just really accelerated that phenomena, whether it's north to south or north to west and Midwest to South. And those markets, predominantly, we call them sand states, just exploded. Home prices in many markets tripled. So that got arrested starting in 22 as rates started moving higher. And there was a short correction in 22, which really resulted from affordability spiking. And then builders really got aggressive by offering discounts, mortgage rate buy-downs. And the consumer felt like, hey, I'm getting a value. And when we saw that sort of now economy's not falling apart, prices aren't plummeting, but I'm going to get a deal. And we saw consumers coming back in and starting to buy. And that has been really for the builders, the story that's now continued while the existing home sale market has really suffered. So the dynamics of the market, you're right. I think there's a secular trend. More people are working from home. And that, from my perspective, is a good thing for if you have the ability to do so. I think young people, not to get on my soapbox, should be working in office. But you and I, the old dogs, you know, it's nice. I'm sitting in Naples instead of Cleveland. You know, so not a bad thing. That probably wouldn't have been the case prior to COVID. This is the one sector that when you talk to people, they're going to listen to this. It impacts them both personally and then in terms of how they actually invest. They may be in a home right now that they would sell, but they're golden handcuffed, so to speak, because they're locked into such a low mortgage rate. And they also invest in certain things. And it's always been, to me, one of the more exciting sectors to trade. It's very elastic in the sense of rates come down and you buy the builders. Rates go up, you sell the builders. But I wanted to focus, stay within the sector of the home builders for a minute without going into any names specifically, but I think they've all done a pretty good job on improving their balance sheets during this time period. I think to the point you made, it's always been a localized market. You can't just throw by the XHB and get what you want. You really should look at these companies bottom up per se, but they're in much better shape. But my question is, should these stocks be valued? Because they're going to look cheap on PE until they're not. On book value any longer because the balance sheets are so improved, or should it be something of PE and how do you figure out kind of a trough versus a peak where we are in the cycle right now with the builders in general? So the industry now is really trying to figure that out. And I think where they're trading right now in forward earnings is more like 11 to 12 times. So half the S&P are nearly half. We have the only outliers NVR that trades like 16 times. And well, on a price to book basis, then the old school, you buy them a book, you sell them a two times book. And right now they're roughly just slightly below two. They're right now 1.9 and that's market cap weighted. And what 
you find is that investors right now buy it a book, sell it too, is really because the risk that the volatility of earnings would be so severe and they'd lose money in a downturn. But to your point, the balance sheets are dramatically improved. Their debt to capital ratios in many cases are in the teens. Some of them are actually negative net debt. So I think that what you have is more assurance that they'll be not in a risk of bankruptcy or risk of real financial failure. At the same time, a lot of the benefits that they've enjoyed is volume and price. And the land market has not at all seen any price relief. So land prices continue to rise and land is their biggest raw material. And when you look at just the business at, at, in total, say, okay, is this a business that's a great business or not? Are they good stewards of capital? They've been buying back stock. They're generating cash flow now, even during growth periods, which never happened. Back in the day, the only time they generated cash is in a downturn. And so I think there's a lot of improvements, but they still haven't really improved overall like inventory turns. Inventory turns are roughly one times. Their working capital as a percent of sales is still like 60%. So some people say it's just not a great business. So unless they can sustain margins, which means they get price, continuing to get price, their ROEs are going to be under pressure if margins are under pressure. And so I think that the question is, where is trough? And I think we have to look at, the, will we have a severe downturn? Will unemployment plummet? Will consumer confidence plummet? Do we have, how many wars are we now in? And, and maybe more to come. I think that it really is going to be subject, um, subjected to the confidence and overall consumer employment levels. But our view is troughs will be higher, and yet we haven't figured out how much higher in, from prior downturns. So obviously the key to the sector is rates that, that I mentioned before, and specifically mortgage rates. And so when you think about the incentives, which you mentioned, some of the builders are now offering in terms of buying down people's mortgage rates. Just to think about it, if the rate should be 7% and they buy down two points for you, so they make it 5%, is that 2% basically discounted in the value of the home or do they literally make it a 5% mortgage throughout? How does that kind of work? They're basically buying forward commitments. So from lenders, so from then it's a pool of money that they can utilize and to buy the rate down, they'll lock in at five, but for them, it's just an incentive. So once the consumer, if they're locked in for 30 years at five, those dollars are the same thing that consumer might've gotten at, let's say upgrades in cabinetry or, or countertops. So it's, I guess, immune to what they use it for. But the consumer can get it for 30 years and it's costly to gross margin, but they've done, I think, an excellent job of figuring out the right formula. What they tell us today is they pulled back on that as rates have fallen and that a lot of consumers that one are putting a lot of money down or they're looking at the market and they're, they're savvy enough to know that rates are going to fall, that they're going to use those dollars for other types of incentives in order to feel like they're getting a value. But it does hit gross margins just like any incentive would. So it's key, I think, when people see rates, when they see 10-year yields come in, you know, which are somewhat obviously tied to mortgage rates given duration of mortgages, and those come in to a degree versus the Fed actually cutting rates and impacting HELOCs, second mortgages on people's homes. So there's two parts to this, right? We've dealt with various cycles. This cycle is very different. So I know one has more impact on the shorter end of the yield curve, maybe on the home centers, you know, the lows and the depots of the world that kind of benefit from people wanting to take out a loan to improve their homes that already own a home versus so when people see rates just come down in general, should they be focused more on Fed funds and SOFR in the shorter end or should they be focused more on kind of the longer end as the impact to how it impacts the sector in general? I think long rates, we're focused on what the spread is between the 10 and the 30 year, because historically that spread has been about 160 basis points, the 10 to 30. And right now it's running at 265, let's say, got as high as 300. 
And part of that is the MBS investor is I worried about uh, what was worried more about a recession. Also, if rates do come down, prepayment speeds are going to accelerate, worried about defaults. So those spreads are keeping rates elevated. So we're really focused on the long end of the curve. Now, if you look at, like you mentioned, building products, home centers, we also cover the REITs, the multifamily companies, the SFRs, anyone who's dependent on borrowing on the short end and basically revolving um, revolvers, they're going to be affected by the short end as well as the long end, depending on what financing they're locking up. But for consumers, I think generally it's going to be the long end when we're talking about home building. So the reason that consumers have held up and I think housing has held up in general this time around, there was no huge impact this time because the mortgage products that were offered that people have right now, meaning rates going up didn't have a huge impact because there's no two and three or arms. It's such a small percentage of this rolling and rolling. Eventually it'll roll off. But the flip side of that, Ivy, is that as rates come down, you're not going to see as much benefit. If you didn't see the negative side of it, you're not going to get, get as much benefit. So maybe talk about rates coming in, what you're seeing, what refi wave, if any, and how you, you would express that. So first, let's just say that Rates are important, but what trumps rates for stocks, the rates are really what was the most correlated to stock performance. What really matters to home buyers is their confidence in their jobs and overall employment. So as we know, employment really hasn't maybe some volatility, but we still have strong employment growth. So when people think about housing, they're worried about rates, but affordability right now with rates coming down, call it 7%, it's running at about 17% above historic trend line for new home. It's actually a little bit higher for existing versus trend line, probably 25% above because existing home prices rose almost 6% in 23, which we could talk about with you mentioning golden handcuffs. You look at existing home annualized sales, it's running the absolute number, probably at the lowest level of equal to or slightly better than prior recessions. And we frame that by looking at the numerator of transactions divided by households. So historically, a trough ratio would be about 3%-ish. And right now, 23 was just slightly over three. And that's really killing the brokers and lack of transactions as a function of, as you mentioned, 80% of people locked in. Now, as rates are coming down, refis, we just saw in our proprietary mortgage survey, applications are up 23%. Now, you're coming from the depths of the bottom, rock bottom levels, but we do see that now that it was at one point, over 90% of people were locked in below five. Now it's 80% and falling. So you're getting that refi benefit for those that were locking in at those higher levels. We would expect refis to be up 30, 40% next year off of very historic low levels as rates are falling. When I think about just affordability, while affordability is still stretched, I think that is less a problem in a very strong employment environment for the magnitude of who we're talking about. We got 330 million people, 130 million households, and you've got a million new home sales. You've got 4 million existing home sales. So the numbers, don't forget, we also have, I think, 30% of the market's cash buyers. The strength of the economy is allowing for the market to continue. But we had such a pull forward because of COVID. Ask anyone that couldn't get a house. They were outbid 100,000 times. They're getting frustrated. A lot of what the market enjoyed post-COVID ending in 22 was this sort of now, hey, I can buy. And I think we're seeing fatigue in the market a little bit more, especially on the existing home side. In Naples and the community I'm in, you talk to people at Dog Park, they're like, oh, people are asking for triple what they originally paid and they're in la-la land. And so you're starting to see price reductions as people start to appreciate that they're just not going to get, they're still holding them way higher, let's say, than where they were in 20. But there is some pressure on price in the existing market as inventories are finally rising. Inventories in the U.S. actually are still at really historic lows. 
And we look again, inventories as a percent of households or even absolute levels, and they just modestly are now increasing year over year, but still record lows. In the existing home market, there's some fatigue. I think people are starting to list their homes because they're tired of waiting for those that would like to move after waiting, let's say, for the last year and a half or year plus. And as a result of it, there's more price competition now in certain markets. Still tight, record lows, but moving directionally higher. And that 6%, call it south of 6% national home price increase that we saw in 23 was just surprising. But it was really that lack of inventory available pushing People to the new home market, by the way, saw very little price appreciation, but grew share really pre-COVID. New homes were about 11% of total transactions. Now, roughly call it 15, 16%. So the dynamics in the new versus existing have been slightly different from a transaction perspective. But I think that the existing market starting to see a little bit more competition. New home, we just published today our uh, December survey. And we saw the best survey that we've seen in a while in terms of a pickup in activity and the forward look into early January is very positive. Incentives coming down, starting to see acceleration and absorption. So that's really a function of the the rate decline. And builders are probably going to pull back on incentives and we'll see how well that, that goes for them. But we're watching it obviously pretty closely right now. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership-only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. I want to move into the rental sector for, I, I do want to go there in a minute, but before I do, I want to talk about quantitative tightening and quantitative easing. And I think when people hear about QE and QT, they th- think treasuries and they're not thinking about mortgage-backed securities as much. And the impact when the Fed first announced that they were going to unwind QE or let mortgages and treasuries run off, we got a front run by all the mortgage-backed traders that went out there and spread started to widen, obviously, 
ahead of the Fed actually doing anything. So the flip side of this now is the anticipation, maybe, that things are going to stop. Are you starting to see an improvement in the mortgage-backed securities market and spreads in general? And do you expect that to be a potentially huge tailwind? Treasuries aside, I'm just talking about mortgage rates here per se, if and when that does happen. And I know that's an important part of how you look at the sector. The spreads have been narrowing. We're now probably at the lowest spread in the last 12 plus months. But you know, I think that not being an expert in that sector, I think that the runoff's continuing. The Fed's balance sheet is massively bloated. And whether or not they'll arguably change to more of a QE phenomena on the runoff or even buying treasuries are buying mortgages because that's they're no longer doing so. So how much of that's going to change? We're not expecting it. But if you look at the forward yield curve is by 25, like rates are at 6%. And how much of that is predicated by spreads narrowing versus the yield curve flattening? Or to me, I don't understand the yield curve. You know, where the 10-year is right now, it feels like it's really reflective already of QE and easing that will occur in 24 because it call it 4% versus the short end of the curve. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then I was going to ask you about the rental market. In general, because it's a key component of inflation. It's a key component of people making personal choices. And we've seen a lot of false starts in terms of rental rates coming down, not going back up. It obviously is totally correlated to home availability, home pricing, et cetera. So give us your outlook. First, let's just separate rental from single family versus multifamily. So on the multifamily side, we've seen pretty substantial deceleration in rent growth, predominantly new rent move-in has been negative and down in some markets modestly to mid-single digits. And that's really a, a function of the significant supply that's coming. So the free money really brought in a massive amount of capital and everybody was building again in the sand states and going out in suburban markets, building high rise, mid rise. And now the backlog of homes for multifamily to be completed is at nearly a million. And that's like the highest it's been since the 70s. So as that backlog is getting delivered and completed, it's putting pressure on rent rates. So while renewals have held up, we are seeing deceleration renewals. And our forecast is that we're going to see pretty much flat rent growth in 24 and 25. And we will not be out of this sort of mess of supply until the end of 25. And then early 26, we should start to see improvement, especially because on the front end, starts are, are plummeting because the cost to develop with rates has made it really unappealing, not to mention the amount of supply that still needs to get delivered. So that that's the story for single family rental, sorry, multifamily. Occupancies have held up, but they're really foregoing price for occupancy to retain that tenant, but still a little pressure. Single family rental has been better, but normalizing. So, you know, rent growth up double digits was just ridiculous. And historically, SFR grew, call it 2%. So we're now normalizing, seeing new moving again, decelerate, renewals holding up, similar story. But this SFR side doesn't have the supply dynamics that multi has to challenge them. But there is the build for rent segment, which was hotter than hot. I called it the prettiest girl at the dance in 2000. I don't know, start probably pre-pandemic. And then it ran hard through the go-go pandemic years. Single family or built for rent is a relatively small, less than 10% of starts. But that 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 has been negatively impacted because of the cost of capital. But that segment of the market is starting to come back as rates are falling. So that puts more supply on the market, could marginally impact some markets, the Phoenix, Atlanta, Dallas, where it's more prevalent, but it's not a national phenomenon. 
So what do you think about private equities move over the last several years into the rental market within homes, right? So this is a new phenomenon, as you mentioned, right? So I don't know if it poses a danger risk. I don't know if that's good or bad. What are the thoughts on that? Because I know that you follow the sector. Obviously, there are companies that trade in that sector, but a lot of people have a problem with it. They just made an investment, obviously, these PE companies to go buy land, like you mentioned before. How does that change the dynamic and how do you see that playing out? That's funny because I remember I was having lunch with Jonathan Gray and when they first started Blackstone buying a foreclosure. You know, he said, we're like an army. We're just invading and we're going to occupy and then we're just going to own everything. And when you think about back during the foreclosure crisis, when home prices were getting pounded and we had massive amount of foreclosures, it was a very smart move. But if you look at private equity or just institutional investors as a percent of the total of the single family rental market, it's still below 5%, 2 or 3%. When I started analyzing the single family rental industry, gosh, it was like 2010. I remember I found an association called the Single Family Rental Property Managers Association with 3,500 members. So this has been a sector that has been a mom and pop industry that the quality institutional investors are trying to penetrate. And it, while it's slow nationally, it's double digits in the Atlantis and Phoenix and some of the markets where there's more production housing, newer housing, and lower price points because it doesn't pencil above, call it a three dollars $400,000 home. So I think it's a good business. It's definitely very attractive. And the question is, can they grow? Because if home prices are rising and the cost of capital is increasing, the overall returns are just not going to be there. So I think that they're going to be dependent on HPA and or relative to new development. And so I think that it's a business that they'll likely still continue to penetrate. But the question is, what's the share and how fast can they grow? Now, regulators are all over them. Elizabeth Warrens of the world are saying they're taking away from today's first-time home buyers their opportunity to buy. But you think about it, if you can rent a home and you're moving to a market, check it out before you make that commitment or you don't have enough money for a down payment. We just did an analysis. We compared like for like, literally same square foot within two miles of a same uh, school district, but two miles from each other, single family home, call it 2,000 square feet, 9% better to rent in terms of monthly payment, lower than the for sale house. So I think it's a good thing and gives consumers alternatives. I think that there's a lot of noise about the institutional investors, but just to repeat, they're very small as a percent of the total. So let's spend a few minutes going through, I think you have what five or six different verticals within your coverage, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe go through each one Highlight a couple of maybe your top ideas, if you have one within those sectors. Well, we'll start with builders. On the builder side, we like Lennar as a top pick, trading at a slight discount as a big cap. There's not a lot of liquidity in the group. So you really look at the big cap names. And I think that they've done a tremendous job in improving their balance sheet and dramatically driving cash flow and buying back stock. And they're the machine. They're literally the builder who will dictate price. But between Horton and Lennar, they control 30% of the new home market. So they will dictate what the level of absorption and price is, but we're definitely a fan of Lennar. Moving into building products, building products, we cover 17 companies. So there's quite a lot and various, whether you're looking at exterior, interior, fashion, decorative, but we've been more bullish on those names that are exposed to the new home market. Companies like Builder First Source is one that we really like, and it's done a tremendous job. EBITDA margins have been at really elevated levels and, and sustained. So that's a top pick. We like Fortune Brands. They've got some interesting things they're doing in the water area, water management area that we think have secular long-term growth opportunities. In the realtor broker space, we like Zillow. 
Zillow is a top pick. Compass is a company within a secularly declining market is basically growing share. And we think despite the market being on its ass, sorry for the language, we think it can be one of the winners if we start to see rates falling. In mortgage, we like Rocket. Rocket's done a tremendous job in technologically advancing the industry. And I think that Rocket with refis rebounding is a good investment opportunity at depressed valuations. Invitation homes in the SFR area, I think is attractive. And we don't actually rate the multifamily REITs, even though we cover them. We watch them and stay closely abreast of fundamentals. The home centers, we are neutral, but we prefer Lowe's over Home Depot. Ivy, for people out there, I know you cater to a lot of institutional accounts. I think retail investors, if I'm not mistaken, can get access to your product as well. Do you want to tell people how best to find you guys and who they contact and so forth? Absolutely. So our website, you can reach us at zelmanassociates.com. But I think what we are really looking for in our growing our business is the industry executives that are in the housing sector are really partnering with us in many cases to understand what's happening in all the areas of that ecosystem. So we do a lot of proprietary surveys. We have a newsletter that we publish weekly. And if you're interested in that, just contact Kim at zelmanassociates.com. We also host a housing summit that's really for institutional investors annually. We're doing it in Boston in September, but Kim at zelmanassociates.com will give you any information you're interested in, in obtaining. For everyone out there, I mean, and Ivy and I have been friends for a long time, but truly the queen of housing, the king of housing, everything in housing. And so Ivy has seen it all as much as we have on our end and sticking with her through all this information, bullish markets, bearish markets, whatever it might be. You're a great source of information and even a better person. So thanks for coming on the table with us. And I'm sure we'll have you back on now on a regular basis if you would be so willing. I appreciate it. It's great to see you, Danny. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, and SoFi. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.